Yeah. Anyway. So the second recap, or timed recap, because bonus app. Yep. Are you ready? ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Okay, ready? ready? One, two, three. Okay, so there's this family of witches, um, and one of them is almost murdered at the stake, and so she decides to put a curse on all men. She gets banished at some point. Flash forward to the future, um, where Nicole Kidman and Sandra Bullock are sisters living with their aunts after their mother and father die because their mother had the audacity to fall in love with a man. Um, Sandra Bullock casts a spell so that she will never meet a man that she actually loves, Nicole Kidman decides to run away from home with an unspecified army man. I don't know. She has, like, a weird duffel bag. And uh, before she goes, she, like, swears they're, like, blood sisters, even though they're actually, you know, already blood sisters. It doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. Um, and then the aunts are like, wow, um, Sandra Bullock's really sad. We should give her a man. Um, then that man dies, obviously, because of the curse. Um, and... Uh, so Sandra Bullock's really, really sad. Nicole Kidman comes back. They have a really sweet moment. Nicole Kidman then uh, returns to Jimmy Angelov, um, and then they murder him, and then they resurrect him, and then they murder him again. Um, and then Aiden Quinn shows up playing a police detective like he does in everything, I would assume, and um, tries to sniff out the thing, and then there's a problem with the PTA, and all the people in the town know that they're witches. There's so much that happens in this movie. Dude, you have to finish. I know, I know, I know, I know. Um, okay, so anyway, um, the spirit of Jimmy Angela starts haunting the creepy old mansion. The daughters find out that Aiden Quinn is, like, actually, um, the man that Sandra Bullock, uh, fantasized about so long ago and, like, wished that she would never meet, except that I guess that means she actually did wish she would meet him. Um, and then, uh, at the end, uh, the town has fully accepted them. They help the PTA moms, the phone tree moms, help, um, Sandra Bullock and Nicole Kidman banish the evil spirit of Jimmy Angelov, and then the town loves them again, and uh, they jump off the roof on Halloween. Great, love it. I that took that is like a two solid full two minutes. minutes. So much happens in this movie. Yes, and up until now, our um, bonus episodes have not been plot heavy. Per Co- se, as as evidenced by our Twilight episode. Nothing, where happens, nothing in happens in Twilight. Nothing happens in the Blair Witch Project either, but nothing happens a lot more effectively in the Blair Witch Project. And a lot more compellingly. And mm-hmm. interestingly. Ooh. Okay. Are you ready? Sure. For the recap. Yeah. Okay. Three, two, one. Okay, so there's a family of witches, and one is about to be hung by, a ta- hung by her town because she is, like, kind of floozy, <laughs> and then she puts a curse on all men because her lover doesn't come to save her when she gets banished. And that makes it so no one in her family can ever fall in love without the man dying. Um, and then flash forward like 300 years or whatever, um, Nicole Kidman and Sandra Bullock's mom dies of a broken heart because their dad dies because she fell in love with them. So they go to live with their aunts and their aunts teach them magic. And then flash forward and the sisters separate in life because that's just how things happen. But in the interim, uh, Sandra Bullock's character um, uh, wishes for a man who can't possibly exist so she'll never fall in love. And then once Jillian, who is Nicole Kidman's character, leaves, the ants put a spell on Sandra Bullock so that she will fall in love, and she falls in love, and she has these beautiful children, and then he obviously dies because of the curse. And then Jillian comes back to be with her, but then later she gets a call 
And then later Sandra Bullock gets a call from, from Nicole Kidman saying that she needs help because Jimmy hit her, her boyfriend Jimmy hit her, and she comes and then they kill Jimmy and then he comes, they bring him back to life because they're scared that they killed him and then they have to kill him again because he comes back as something even scarier than before. And then he starts haunting them and somebody comes looking for Jimmy because he was a wanted man and that is Aiden Quinn and he's really handsome in this, don't know what to say. And then all of this happens and the ants find out and they take the two young daughters away and they say you have to solve your own problems and then uh, Sandra Bullock and Nicole Kidman ask the women in the town to help perform a spell because they need a full coven to banish the spirit and they do and then Sandra Bullock and Aiden Quinn are together and then they jump off the roof and it's lovely. So you made it in a minute and 37 seconds. So I won. <laughs> yes, by... But it makes me feel good that you went over a minute because there's no way I'm doing that one. Not this one. There's a lot going on. It's, yes, which is a thing that I think that doesn't work. About yeah, and yeah. Well, yeah. well, let's talk about what we're gonna obviously, as we do in our bonus episodes, talk about what works and what doesn't. I think we should start with what works before we get oh, there because yeah. I do not want people to think that I don't love this movie because, Mama, I do. Um. I liked this movie. I know you I liked, liked it, this but movie. you don't have the... I know, I know. I know. Yes. The uh that mm-hmm. I have for it, which is totally undeserved, but sometimes you just latch on to things in life, you know? Oh, dude, I used to be... Like in, Teen Wolf. <laughs> like Teen Wolf, I, uh, as a teenager, was, like, obsessed with the Nicole Kidman, Will Ferrell Bewitched movie. Still am. Love that movie. It's legitimately awful. Oh, like, there's true garbage I like. And I like <laughs> things that are, like... Because this is, like, a good, passable movie. I like things that are, like, objectively unwatchable. <laughs> yes. If anybody has ever seen The Covenant... I knew that's what you were going to bring oh, up. Oh, it is completely unwatchable. It is horrible. But, oh my gosh, is it fun. That's sometimes all that you need. Yeah. Really. You're just like, I like Chase Crawford. This movie is about male witches. I'm in. I think witches is the real th- through line here <laughs> yeah, for you. Yeah, maybe it is. Ooh. Huh. Hmm. Huh. All right, let's talk about what works in Crestful Magic, because I think I think a lot more of this movie works than people originally gave it credit for. Mm-hmm. Before we talk about anything, production design. The art direction of this movie is phenomenal. Gorgeous. Every single outfit that they are wearing, despite the fact that it is the late 90s, is stunning. And timeless. And in a timeless. way where if somebody was wearing that today, I would just be like, oh, love it. Literally my only... I know the like, 90s are kind of in right now, so like if somebody was wearing it five years ago, I would still have been like, love it. The Truly the only thing that like genuinely dates it for me are like Nicole Kidman's really tiny sunglasses, but even those, those are, are in right now. Yeah. yeah, exactly. The cloud goggles? Yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, so like the costuming is impeccable. The house... So for anybody who doesn't know, this is my favorite fact about this movie. This house was built for this movie. And it is very much like kind of peak 90s home design, but in a way that is so enticing and interesting and beautiful. And the kitchen with the giant sink and the brass tile behind it, it's all the white cabinetry. It is absolutely gorgeous. And the fact that they have like a greenhouse and... Very witchy. Yeah, very witchy. The whole big attic that Nicole Kidman lives in is funky and kind of weird um and it's just beautiful and so I've mentioned this on the podcast before that I like spent a lot of time living in a small town in New England last year 
I never want to do that again, but watching this movie, I was like, oh, gee, wouldn't it be nice to move to a small town, town in New, New England? England? No, but yes. Yeah. If I could live in that house, yes. Mm-hmm. And what I think is most impressive about this house, and I don't, this, this is a lot more to, to do with design than it does with cinematography because we have our problems with the cinematography in this movie, and we'll talk about it later. But the actual design of the house, even though you're in all of these enclosed spaces, because it's clearly an old, it's supposed to look like a very old house, the kitchen mm-hmm. is kind of enclosed, there's no open floor plan, it seems to go on for forever. And it's also like, on the water sort of like you can kind of see the water i think it's higher up i think it's like on a cliff-esque mm-hmm. type of deal but it, it's just got this really big expanse around it and it feels very appropriate for where it is like physically in the space i think that it's mm, sumptuous like it just is beautiful to look at the yeah. whole thing I also think that a part of the house design also gets carried into the apothecary shop that Sandra Bullock's character opens, which... Yes. What is her name? Who's Jillian and who's the other one? Sally Sandra Bullock. Okay, Sally. Yeah. I should know this, but I always refer to them by their actor names. Oh, yeah. I was having... I was... Literally, when you were doing your recap, I was like, okay, so which one is Nicole Kidman? And (laughs) in my recap, which you Mm -hmm. all listen to, I'll just listen to, you'll be like, I have no idea who she's talking (laughs) about. Sorry, I didn't either, to be fair. Yeah. But Sally's Apothecary Shop is gorgeous and it's got the same kind of timeless timeless and not in and it's whitewashed but not in the really boring target instagram way that's happening right now where like every boring white bitch on instagram has like the same like live laugh love wine glasses or whatever it's like antiquated but very now it's it's beautiful and even the packaging design on the things she's selling we don't even get a full glimpse of it but you can tell that it it, it looks like really high-end beauty products and it's, it's it gorgeous. looks like it looks like the apothecary shop that David Rose opens in Schitt's Creek, which I was the first thing that I thought of when I saw that. I was like, oh, it's it's Rose's apothecary, which I don't know if that's intentional, but um, I think a lot of this production design would carry over into certain people's it imagination. It actually reminds me of an apothecary shop in Ann Arbor that used to be down the street from us. Interesting. Yes. That, not that that's an accessible reference to the people listening to this, because I, if any of you are in Ann Arbor, congrats, it's the best city in the world, but yeah, yeah. other than that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's beautiful. It, so we have production design, we have, I mean, we have costume design, we have set design, mm-hmm. and I think very little of this was filmed on a soundstage. Yeah, it, it's... It very much seems like it was filmed on location. Yeah. Um, they, they actually, it's funny that this movie is set in what's supposed to be New England. It's actually filmed in either Oregon or Washington. I know it's Pacific Northwest. I think Oregon. Um, interesting that you can just flip the coast and be like, these are the same. And everyone will be like, yeah. <laughs> Pine trees yeah. and water, I'm in. Great. <laughs> yeah. we're, we're here for it. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, it's not filmed in the, like, twilight. This is clearly the Pacific Northwest way. It's very much focused on, like, the cliff faces and the water and, like... Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's gorgeous. It is. And I, I do want to talk a little bit about costume design more extensively because of the costume design for all of the different characters mm-hmm. is so indicative of personality. Dude, Stalker Channing has never looked better. Oh my god. Yeah. She looks incredible. She wasn't who I was going to talk about first, but yeah, she's a babe in this. No, the first thing that, like, when I'm, when we're talking about costume design for specific people, like... Nicole Kidman. Yeah. But, like, Stalker Channing's, the way that they do, they style her hair and the hats that they have her wear and just, like, the sleeves 
on the dress. Like, she looks They're so luxurious. You know? She looks so yeah. good. So does Diane Weiss, but I love Stocker Channing, like, more than life itself. Who doesn't? So. Her eyebrows in this movie? Incredible. Oh, so good. Um, but, like, obviously the ants are kind of dressed in almost just... I don't want to say stereotypically witchy look, but it's very meant to suggest, like, wit kind of witch fashion, but in a Stevie Nicks kind of edgy, cool way. Yeah, not in, like, a bohemian way, which I think is an interesting choice. Mm -hmm. Because given the fact that it is set in the 90s, you... I would kind of expect the aunts to be in more of, like, a 60s boho vibe. But it's kind of, like weirdly like shredded Victorian it's it's neat like it's it's not what you would expect yeah from their age and the time that this movie was set yeah and that's kind of why I said Stevie Nicks like the whole yeah. her like blazer top hat mm-hmm. flowy skirt kind of deal yeah it's really interesting and then we have two kind of interesting ends of the 90s of the late 90s when we look at Sandra Bullock and Nicole Kidman mm-hmm. and we have a little bit more like mommy fashion and I don't mean like mom jeans which is what we call them now I mean like actual like what mothers are wearing kind of clothes where we have very like functional tops for Sandra Bullock and like jeans and like the dark black thick belts and the boots and stuff and then we see the, like, Los Angeles party girl kind of version of the 90s with Nicole Kidman, which is mm-hmm. very indicative of their personalities as characters in the movie. And they are executed so well, where they both look exceptionally good in their costuming without it being, like, overly revealing in any way or, like, suggesting, like, hinting too much at their characters. I think it's really done well. They do a lot to kind of signal who these people are supposed to be through their costuming, which is, you know, what you're supposed to do as a costume designer, duh. Mm -hmm. But um, what I think is really interesting and something that I noticed during the scene when Nicole Kidman, like, I mean, I don't think it's fair to say she runs away from home, but she decides to leave. They have the exact same haircut. Yeah. Like, they could not be more different stylistically. Their hair is, like, very different colors. They wear completely different styles but their hair is the same, which I think is a really nice detail. I think it's nice. And it's also, it also shows you just how similar they really are at their core. Cause like, Mm -hmm. listen, me and my identical twin would rather die than have the same haircut. (laughs) So it it really does like lend it to like, no matter how far away they get from each other, one scars on their hands from the blood pact, which is ew. But also like the fact that they keep the same haircut is, is just, you know, it's like the part of them that they're missing. Yeah. Dude, I can't watch people do blood packs. They do that at the end of It, chapter one. And I'm just sitting there in my theater being like, oh, all those kids are going to have tetanus. Yeah. Like, I just can't watch it. Ew. Just it's gross. Just also, when she's like, my blood, your blood, our blood, duh. Your blood is your blood. Your you siblings. siblings. Like, I don't understand what that's supposed to mean, but okay. Um... I mean, I also don't necessarily understand all of the, the witch lore in this movie, so maybe it Oh, is. that's a huge problem that I have, but we're still talking about what works. All right. Yeah. Oh, I, let's, let's kind of talk about, as we're talking about production design, I also want to talk about, like, the costuming of the men in this movie, of which there mm-hmm. are very few, which yeah. is maybe why it's good. Um, Almost certainly why it's, it's good. good. Yeah. Um, so we have Sandra Bullock's husband, who, does he have a name? He's, I mean, is he's gone in the Mike, first... Is it Michael? I, you keep talking, I'll look at him. Okay. He's gone in, like, the first ten minutes, but he mm-hmm. is, he looks like, um, he's, like, 
a Luke in Gilmore Girls type, right? He sure is. Small town, flannel wearing, backwards hat, like a dude who you I'm... would love to love you, but in, like, in this sense, because in real life he'd be like a small town loser, but like in Practical Magic, in Gilmore Girls, you're like, that is my dream man, and that's exactly how they dress him, and he's like, a produce seller, and you're like, I'm really why mad. am I so in love with him? I'm really mad that you made the Gilmore Girls reference, because you don't even watch Gilmore Girls. I've seen it. But I liked Luke. I, we love Luke. Yeah. His name is Michael. Okay, so Michael. Michael, Michael yeah. has all of the appeal of Luke, except less grouchy, which is even better, you know? They also both have biblical names. True. I mean, but... I have a biblical name. Not in the same... It's not the same thing. All right, whatever. Anyway, point is... Um, yeah, you look at him... You look at him and you look the way that they're looking at each other. You listen to Faith Hill sing this kiss and you're like, oh, God it's damn. So good. <laughs> the soundtrack in this movie will get there. Oh, it's so good. Oh, yeah. Like, I want that. Yeah. I, I do. You do. That. And yeah. it, it, if... You know, it's because he, it's like, because he looks a little schlubby, but in such a good way, you know? Because he's the guy who put up shelves in your house, if you ask him to. Yes. Yeah. That's why (laughs) Christian's wearing a green Henley, and we have had a lengthy discussion this evening about why women find Henleys attractive. And they just are. That's why. They just are. Yeah. Because men wear them. Because men wear them. one kind of shirt that looks good on a lot, a lot of, of men. men. And I told you, like, men are so blind to what looks good on them. Polos. Men think polos look good, but polos across the board will make you look overweight. Unless you are Chris Pine. No, he looks bad in them too, sorry. I thought he looked okay in the Princess Diaries too, in a polo. He looks okay in everything that isn't a polo. Moving on. <laughs> um, polos look bad, but like, Henleys are the one shirt that all dudes own, but they don't realize that they're extremely flattering. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, but no, I think he actually is wearing a white Henley at the beginning of this. Mm-hmm. And if he's not, it's a waffle shirt, which is like, the same oeuvre. Oh, it's like the same vibe. Yeah. Lumberjack man. Which is so funny that like, we can spend so long talking about him and his costuming, even though he dies. So soon. In the he movie. has no dialogue whatsoever. No, but you're in love with him. Yeah. You see exactly why Sally is in love with him. Yeah. When he's dancing with them in the living room. Ugh. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. He's just like a, a, a... And we what we know about him, we know from Sally's letters to um, Jillian. Mm-hmm. Where she's like, I'm married to a man I can't stop kissing. And I even love the mustache. Yeah. Which... What a beautiful detail, you know? I love it. Um, before I just get more in love with this guy who got fridged. <laughs> he did, but you know what? That's refreshing because men it, don't get fridged. It's refreshing when the man gets fridged, for yeah. sure. Um, we, can, we can talk about um, Jimmy and... What's the detective's name? Hold on. Aiden Quinn. <laughs> like, this is a movie where, with the exception of... Goran Viznich, whose name is hard to say because he is Croatian. We're mostly gonna call people by their um, actor names. His name, his his name is Investigator Gary Hallett, which, like, Aiden Quinn just plays cops. Yeah, that's what he plays on Elementary, where he's a total silver fox, and he. This is the Aiden Quinn thing where it's like, it's like what's his face, Billy Crystal, and when Harry met Sally. He was really attractive for however long they were filming that. that. 
And I mean, not that Aiden Quinn has like gotten ugly, but he's, you know, he's not the same. Aiden Quinn, please don't listen to this podcast. I don't think he is, but if he is, sorry, Aiden Quinn, she's being so rude to you. <laughs> yeah, that bus passed and I was like, ooh, I better push Julia under. <laughs> you know what? It's fine. Is it? Is I don't know. Is <laughs> no, it? Is it? Um, so his costuming is like very Aiden Quinn. Is very like kind of standard cop fare, but it's also like he's not really in uniform very often. No, because he's a detective. Because he's a detective. Yeah. But it, it it does it like it's very like jackets cut to tell you that like this dude could have been in the military or whatever, and it's like khaki and stuff. But what's really interesting about this is that both Jimmy and Aiden's character name Gary. Gary. Both Jimmy and Gary are cowboy prototypes. But Gary is the one who's actually cowboy, and so that's actually how he dresses and how cowboys dress, which is, like, practically. Whereas Jimmy is somebody who who romanticizes the idea of cowboys, so a lot of his kind of costumery is, like, where the Old West meets Eastern Europe. And it's, like, so interesting that that's how those things are, are pit against each other. As, like, evil, which is, like, performative cowboy, and good, which is, like, real cowboy, which is actually fake. <laughs> it's really amazing what you can accomplish with good costume design. Oh, yeah, it's amazing. Like, it makes so many things that would be completely mediocre much more interesting when you have good costume design. Yeah. We have, we have been talking about good costume design for what, the majority of this, <laughs> of this podcast thus far because it is it is so dig inable. Yeah. Um, what else works in this movie? Um, let's see. I took a lot of notes. Most of them are questions. I think that the interactions between Sandra Bullock and Nicole Kidman are really precious. So precious. And... I think that they do a really good job of establishing what it's like to live in a family of women and to have a really strong bond with the women in your family. Mm -hmm. Because there's a scene where they're all sitting around the kitchen table when the aunts have made midnight margaritas, which the level of excitement that the two of them have for midnight margaritas indicate that this was like a long-standing tradition, which I love. And... Literally, that scene is... The dialogue is incomprehensible because they're just laughing so, so hard. hard. But that's so relatable. And because it's... Because it, it is one of the few things in film where you can have a conversation amongst women and be like, that is how it is when I'm with my friends and we're doing midnight margaritas or whatever your version of midnight margaritas is. You know, maybe it's Sunday brunch or maybe it's like baking cake. Like, you have that with your friends where... Once you're kind of like enlightened by the high and the endorphin of like in the endorphins of like being surrounded by women who you can be your like utmost self around, mm-hmm. conversation comes off the table because anything anybody says is going to be as funny as it could possibly be. If something dumb will just make you snort laughing, like oh, when yeah. they're when they're all calling each other when they're calling each other witch, mm-hmm. and they can't stop snorting. Like Sandra Bullock's character snorts because she's laughing so hard. It's like. What was what she was saying that funny? No, probably not. But like they're all and they're a little drunk too. But like, 
Oh, it's so good. And yes, the interactions between Jillian and Sally are precious. It's just, it's so recognizable. If you're a person who, if you're a woman who has a sister, yes. you know what that's like. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why this is the example that's coming to mind right now, but one of the reasons why Eighth Grade is such a powerful movie and it's something that I think about constantly is because it's, it is so realistic and true to life and you're sitting there being like, oh my God, that was my middle school life Mm -hmm. and my middle school life experience. And when you're watching Practical Magic, you're like, that's what it's like to have a sister. Like you you nail it on the head and you'd think that that would be like an easy thing to accomplish, but it's not. No. And I also think that there are very few movies that... What are you doing? I'm opening my sparkling water. <laughs> my my point being that I think that there are very few movies that I can think of off the top of my head that are that take sibling relationships with that much care, particularly relationships between like sisters. I think the common um, thread of like sister relationships in things especially when written and or directed by men is the bad girl sister and the serious sister do not get along because the serious sister is like you're a bad girl and the bad girl sister is like you're too serious and they don't have enough like if for some reason people seem to forget that their formative years were spent together mm-hmm. you know and mm-hmm. like when you have, like, older siblings or whatever, you're going to go through periods where, like, you're not friends with them <laughs> because your your age gap makes you not want to be friends with them and they don't want to be friends with you because they're, like, too cool for school or whatever. Like, you actually aren't, you know, touching in life at that point to actually be close to them. But once you pass that, like, they're, it's you're there forever. You yeah. Know? And I, I don't know. I find it really, like, it's weird to watch movies where siblings don't have a decent relationship with each other or, like, their best friend in the whole world is someone else and they, like, don't like their siblings. I'm like, that's not relatable. At least no. for me. And I don't no, want to say I, that that's no, not you have a bad relationship with your siblings were not being like, why don't you like your siblings? Because mm-hmm. some people have horrible relationships with their siblings. But it, it, I think, especially when you, it's sisters who are meant to be close... And then mm-hmm. people flop on that is when it's kind of uncanny and strange. Yeah. But this movie nails it. I agree. Especially when they're being very vulnerable with each other, which they do in different ways. And Jillian does that through anger. Like mm-hmm. when she talks about when she talks about Jimmy hitting her, she's you know, she's not sad, she's angry. Yeah. And then Sally does that through kind of sadness and tenderness. Like, when she says the line that always kills me, and it's so weird that I, like, have latched onto this, is when she's talking about her apothecary shop. And she's she's just talking about Michael. She's not, you know, she's not lamenting over her lost love. She just says, it, my mint oatmeal shaving cream, he loved it. He couldn't stop eating it. Yeah. Which is just such a sweet detail and stuff, and she's... She does that through, like, nostalgia and reminiscing. Like, that's what their vulnerability is, and they both understand that about each other, and I think that mm-hmm. that... And they meet each other on that level, you know? Yeah. It's... Ugh. It's really touching. And it also serves to, like... You don't have to be the same person as your sibling to have no. a good relationship with them. Nope. I'm tired of manufactured conflict between siblings and media. I know. If it's there, it's there. If it's not. Yeah, if it's fake, then you move on. Yep. 
Um, that's something that is really precious to me in this film. I also do you want to talk about the performances in this film. I want to point out the fact that one of the first notes I took was, is Sandra Bullock a good actor, yes or no? Because I can't tell. I think that she's good. Yeah. No, the scene that I think is really kind of stunning that she does, well, there's two, and they're both kind of in the beginning of the movie, because by the end of the movie, everything doesn't make any sense, so you're like, what's happening? Yeah. But she, when she is driving the car, when Jimmy is about to brand um, Mm -hmm. Jillian with the ring, and she's screaming, because that's terrifying. That detail is disgusting, and I'm really happy it's in the movie, because... Oh, God, it's so weird and awful. It, if you needed any more reason to hate him, um, that is just, like, the, the clinch pin. Yes. Yeah. The lynch um, pin, that's what I meant. Sure. I was uh-huh. just going to let that go. Yep. You can correct yourself. Nope. When she's screaming, it's, you know just how scared she is. Mm-hmm. And then earlier, after Michael dies, she comes to the ants, and she's just sobbing, and she's like, he had died because I loved him so much. Mm-hmm. And... Oh, it's heartbreaking. Your heart shatters for her. As far as Nicole Kidman goes, I do think she's good in this movie, but I once had an acting teacher be like, Nicole Kidman doesn't act, she whispers, so you guys can all chew on that. She's very breathy, and I just think that that's, like, her her thing. Yeah. And you know what? That's fine. That's one of those acting things where it's a stylistic choice, and some people are really going to latch onto it, and some people aren't, so... And that's not even a comment on her technique or her skill or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's literally just stylistic preference. Well, and I also think that a lot of times it works for her, like in Moulin Rouge. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Perfect choice. Yeah. Totally. And she also does it differently in different things. Like, if you ever see Destroyer, she's still not on voice, but it's because she's, like... Her voice is damaged and gruff, and she's basically scream whispering, and like that is really interesting. So I think she, she makes it work for her. Yeah. Um, Clearly, she's very successful. Yeah. I think. I think we can kind of move on to what doesn't work. I did want to talk a little bit about Jimmy, who I think is the most interesting. Please go on, because I don't have a lot to say about him. So I want you to. I, well, I just think that, like, I think that I I understand why we're supposed to be super into Gary or Aiden Quinn's character, like, because he's the one that she wished for, but I think he's a Mary Sue. Oh, he's boring. He's so boring. So when it comes to, like, male conflict, and, like, he also offers the girls conflict because he is investigating them for murder, which Mm -hmm. they did commit, and Jamie deserved it. But when it comes to, like, actual, like interesting like affecting change in their lives he doesn't really and part of that is the way it's written because like he doesn't arrest them like they get set free he fakes a bunch of papers so that they don't end up having to go to trial for this murder or whatever so i when it comes to jimmy i one i think that he's his part is really well acted and i also think that he plays into a part of the supernatural that is less touched upon in this movie that maybe should be and that is both one in the form of being a ghost (laughs) (laughs) yep but two in the form of being a vampire (laughs) because that is what he's supposed to be in life is like this vampire cowboy and the way that um nicole kidman's character jillian whose name i just remembered talks about him is that she he like exhausts her he's an emotional vampire and like that is how he's set up is that he's like sucks her dry but not physically from blood. He does it because he's an abuser. And, like, the way that 
they conflate the two because he's from Eastern Europe and like mm-hmm. he's supposed to be like you know some sort of Dracula figure is I think way more interesting than whatever Aiden Quinn is doing as far as conflict goes obviously we love him because he's like not an abusive asshole like yeah Jimmy, Jimmy deserved to die hundo P mm-hmm. but I think the conflict he incites in their life is a lot more interesting than that that, that Aiden does I don't disagree, but the thing that I, like, majorly took away from watching this movie is that this needed a script doctor really badly. Oh, yeah, it's, like, yeah, pacing is bad. The pacing is terrible. There is no foundation of mythology. I don't understand how the magic works at all. No. I don't understand what the rules are. Wait, pause. We have officially transitioned. (laughs) Into what doesn't what work doesn't work about Crack but magic. this is my this is my point like to your your point about Jimmy Angelov is like I think he could have been so much more compelling and that could have been a much more interesting plot point if the script was more clear or we spent more time on him because like he's not in very much of the movie and he doesn't necessarily have to be no but it's really he physically can't be yeah because he's a ghost but I just. What an absurd thing to say. Um, well, he's dead. Yeah, so. he's dead. Um, but there's just... <sighs> the tone of this movie is all over the place. The script is all over the place. There's no... I Who who sat down and like wrote character descriptions for any of these people? No one, clearly. Like, I, I just... I wanted more... I about think there that. is the distinct character description for the four, if we count Jimmy... Gary, Sally, and Julian as the quote-unquote main characters. Yeah. Those are sustained, but there's no difference between the ants. And the children are just there. (laughs) The children are just there. There's all these, like, very strange points to the show. Like, this movie could have been several different movies, and I think I would have enjoyed all of them. Like, this movie could have been very exclusively about these two women's romantic relationships, which, interesting. Yes. Not, women are not only about their romantic relationships, but interesting. But that's often how they're portrayed in films. So. Exactly. But, and, you know, and I think that because this is, like, a quote-unquote feministy film, I, in a loose term, we're using that very They easily. do kill a man. They do, yes, exactly. Um, very Dixie Chicks. But I then there's also the movie of, like, these women living in this town where they are witches and everyone seems to know, but the way that they act out about it is, like, making them into social outcasts, which makes total sense, but, like, oh, there was so much unmind there that I, like, wanted yes. desperately to know more about, like, how how did Sally meet those people that work in her apothecary? Like, how did she charm those people into, like, working for her? Like, you know, and then, like, again, hmm, the rules of magic, like, at one point, they break a bowl. Like, there's an argument between Sally and Jillian in the kitchen. And they, and I think Jillian is the one who, like, breaks the bowl. And they're trying to clean it up. And I'm just sitting there thinking, Sally stirs her coffee without stirring it, like, via magic. Why can't she just fucking put the bowl back together? Like, there were so many details in this movie that I was like, I need so much more of it to be yeah. really invested. I agree. This is one of those things where had it been, like, a six-episode miniseries... Oh, you would have gotten so much more out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I actually don't know how long the book is. I'd have to check. But if I found out it was over 300 pages and Mm -hmm. this is just how much plot there was that they tried to fit in one movie, like, that makes sense. 
Yeah. I mean, and this also was not really the time of, like, we're making a book series into films. How can we make as much money as possible by splitting the last book into five movies? Like... Which never makes good for good movies. No. So it's actually better, because maybe it would have been worse. But no, if this had been, like, a television series, I think it would have been good. HBO, if you're listening. They had to do Angels in America in six parts on HBO, because Angels... Well, one, Angels in America is crazy long, but, like, Mm -hmm. two, because there's no way you could make Angels in America a movie. No, I wouldn't want to watch it. No. I actually, the, the series is just okay. And the only real way to see Angels in America is live, but that's beyond Yeah. Me. Yeah. I mean, but the other thing that, like, a miniseries would have done is to allow you to play with different tones in such a way that doesn't feel completely jarring. We could have seen an entire episode of just their upbringing and given mm-hmm. you all the backstory that I feel like we deserve. We could have had an entire episode just about Jillian and Jimmy. Yeah. Which... We get a little bit of their relationship, but we don't see why she really likes him. We he, we we know from her that they talk about like deep, deep things, and she feels like this deep emotional bond to him, which is why she doesn't necessarily pick up on the fact that it's really scary that she has to poison him with belladonna to get a good night's sleep. Yeah. Um, but we could have watched an entire episode of that. We could have watched an entire episode. I would have watched an entire movie about Sally and Michael, as proved by how long I talked about him. Sure the would. beginning of this, yeah. Sure would. We're just like, we love a non-threatening man. <laughs> yeah, and the other thing that that serves is, like, the ending feels really unearned. It feels unearned because we don't get enough of the townspeople. Mm-hmm. Because they get called... So, okay, a plot point that we've not really touched on at this point is... is the phone tree. Is the phone tree, which is, like, a major point of contention because Sally is, like, on the PTA. Her kids are old enough to be going to school, and she never gets picked. First of all, this is how you know this was made in the 90s because there isn't, you know, like, remind updates on your phone. If school was closed or there was a hurricane coming... One person at the top of the phone tree would get that information, and then they would pass it down. Um, And I'm not trying to sit here and think that you all don't know what a phone tree is, but, like, Sally never gets picked to be the top of the phone tree. And then... I don't think she ever gets picked to be on it. That's a... I I mean, maybe. Okay. Um, And then Jillian comes back and, like, works her magic so that Sally is at the top of the phone tree on every page. Because, you know, it changes every week or whatever. Which seems a really ineffective way to do a phone tree, but whatever. Um, And it's like this major point of contention where the other mothers in the town hate Sally because they they think slash know that she's a witch. And despite the fact that she's, like, a widow, they don't seem to have any sympathy for her at all. And then at the end, she utilizes the phone tree to call all of those women to come help banish the, you know, malevolent spirit of Jimmy Angelov. And they do it with their brooms, which is just, like, this amazing bit of, like, domestic magic. And I think that that's so undervalued in a lot of, like, magic witches uh, media. Um, So, like, yay domestic magic. Two thumbs up. But it feels unearned because we don't have any interactions with the moms outside of that one thing. Also, also, I'm so sorry. I'm going to let you talk. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, I agree. You're... On a roll. There's, Go ahead. I could have saved this for questions and observations, but it's also, like, in all caps, and I really just need to point it out that... There you go. There is just a child with chicken pox out on the street with all of the other children. Uh-huh. Yeah. Just hanging out. Yep. Bad mothers. Yeah. Please say what you were going to say. Um, yeah, I agree that the only time we ever really... 
I think what they did was try to justify that by having the conversation where all of these women kind of sit down and kind of understand that they have everyday magic. I think it's Margot Martindale who's like, I, my, my daughter had a nightmare halfway across town and I could swear I could hear her. And then mm-hmm. one of the ants goes, there's a little witch in all of us. And I think that's how they try to justify it. But again, there's not enough time in this movie to actually... No one seems to hesitate. No one hesitates. With the exception of what's her name. The mean, oh, the mean mom. She does not have a name. Blonde mean mom. She does, whose kid gets chicken pox, yes. Yeah. She, maybe she has a name. I'm not going to look it up because clearly no one's name matters in this movie. No one. Um, but she has this weird line where she's like, well, you know, ever since I was a little girl, I want to see inside your house. Which is... Oh, so relatable. Yeah. So Whereas, like, I... Because... But that line, as uncomfortable as it is makes me kind of think that, like, she didn't necessarily hate Sally for being a witch. It strikes me as something that was, like, both misunderstanding and also jealousy. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I agree with you that that doesn't work because I also think it doesn't. Um, Also, whoever brings the the vacuum, the dirt devil, the dust buster. I love that. Love it, but also, do you remember the Sabrina series before the Karen Ischipka Sabrina series? I sure do. Which is the actually superior Sabrina. She instead of riding brooms in that Sabrina, they ride vacuum cleaners because it's excellent television (laughs) and they have this bit where like she's taking her vacuum cleaner test and they're like when's the most dangerous time to ride your vacuum and she says light rain because that's on your everyone's driver's ed test yeah 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 it's i i want like a practical magic companion guide to explain explain this movie explain the movie to explain the rules of magic because that's that's like the one trope of fantasy if there's magic there are rules yeah and there are no rules yeah there are no rules and here's the thing i don't want to run around imposing rules on people but like i need them to understand what's happening and your audience and the whole audience does well i think in general fantasy would be uncompelling if anything could happen yeah that's because then it's just a cartoon the restrictions cartoons have rules spongebob has rules Mm -hmm. yeah oh yeah um, but there, yeah, there aren't, I think there are rules to this magic, which is maybe why they don't use magic to clean up the bowl, although I do have different thoughts about that. But also we know that these women are very unpracticed. Because Jillian was never interested in magic, and Sally would wanted to know when she was younger, but then stopped using it when she had a normal life with her husband and her kids. And her, children, her daughters don't really know magic very well. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a line where Jillian says to Sally, you were always so much more talented than me and you always had so much more power. And like, that's where the whole not understanding the rules or knowing how it works really messes you up because you're like, what does that even mean? I don't know. I mean, like even in Harry Potter, we know that there are wizards who are more powerful than other wizards just based on like- Sure. But it's like, it's like athletic ability. What does that even, but like, what does that mean to their relationship? You know, I, I don't know. I have a lot of I have a lot of questions. Okay, but that's not... I mean, the relationship not is the not what thing. you were getting it's at. Not the same I'm just saying, like, I can't be a professional basketball player because I don't. I wasn't born with the skills to be a professional basketball player. No, you can't see. I'm also just not <laughs> tall enough to be one. I'll be, I don't know. No, I'm not tall enough to be in the WNBA. Neither of us are. But no. I think that's fine. I think... Yeah, no, but that's yeah. what I'm saying. Like, you can be born with abilities... You know, you know how there's like sometimes people have like there are like siblings who both go into the same sport, but there's one who's better. Yeah, 
Yeah. That's why you shouldn't let your kids go into the same sport. No. Or the same activities in general. That's not true. <laughs> that one's dumb. No. But, like, I have a larger point to be made about that, that it's not relevant at all. Um, what else doesn't work? What else doesn't work? Okay, so the art direction, great. The directing, bad. It is the weakest part of this movie. Bad, and also the editing not is good. terrible. There is one scene in particular where Sally is basically confessing to Gary um, that she like, Aiden <laughs> in, in, like it, truly the names are unimportant. Yeah, Sandra movie. Bullock is confessing to Aiden Quinn that they like killed Jimmy Angelov and like she's but no, we're not at the same here and be like, oh yes, Goran Biznich <laughs> because it's hard to say, so he gets his character name. Ah, Jimmy Angelov, you know. Um, yeah. And is Jimmy Angelov Italian? Uh, yes, he sure is. Um, <laughs> Yo, she tells us he's Bulgarian. But then at one point, Sally's like, he's from North Dakota in the car. No, the author he's talking about is from North Dakota. Okay, see, I watched that scene five times. I could not understand what she was saying. I don't remember what author they're saying. Right. He's like an American like American cowboy writer. Okay. And, and he says he was an immigrant like me, and Sally's listening to this, and she goes, he was not an immigrant, he's from North Dakota. Okay, thank you for the clarification, because like I said, I watched that like five times, and I'm like, I don't understand how North Dakota came up in this conversation. I don't understand how you meant that one I feel is really straightforward. I Dude, I don't know. I watched it very intently. But the point is, that okay. <laughs> the little like he has an accent. <laughs> North Dakota. People fake accents. It's not anyway. The anyway. There's this conversation between Sandra Bullock and Aiden Quinn, and like it's very emotional. And she's talking about the fact that like he's the perfect man that she wished for that could never exist because he has all of these perfect qualities. And like it just keeps cutting back and forth between their two faces, and it's like uh, my kingdom for a wide shot, please. Can I get a wide shot? <laughs> can I please get a wide shot? Me and most movies, I'm like, yeah. can I get a wide shot? I just want to know what's happening. And I think I also watch um, movies with, like, theater brain, where I'm like, I want to see mm-hmm. both people talking at once. Well, and it also just doesn't make any sense, because that's supposed to be a really romantic scene, and the way that they cut it makes it look like a police interrogation, which, yes, he's a cop, but still. Yeah. That's not what the scene is I also disagree with that scene happening in his hotel room, because... Ew. <laughs> yeah, gross. Also, ladies, this has nothing to do with this movie. But, but you have life advice. Go ahead. I have life advice. <laughs> ladies, gentlemen, truly anybody listening to this podcast, don't ever talk to a cop without a lawyer. Just don't do ever. it. In any circumstance. Nope. Not in an interrogation room. Not if they show up to your house. You don't have to let them in and you don't have to talk to them without a lawyer. And you shouldn't because cops lie. Yes. Moving back on to Practical Magic, I just wanted to get that out there. But it, it drives me fucking crazy that she just, like, talks to this man. No qualms. No. No pause. No one pauses in this movie, like you were saying. Yeah. Nope. Not at all. Um, you know what I think is lacking in this movie, and it's one of the things that I always wish we'd saw, see more of, more of? Please do tell. The Daughters. Yep. They have their whole ish where they try to... Where they realize that... Aiden Quinn is the man that Sandra Bullock had wished for with one green eye and one blue who can ride a horse backwards, which is like, is he my dream man? <laughs> and flip pancakes. Yes. Um, we have that bit, but we don't really see them do anything else, and we also don't see them experience the loss of their father. They seem very happy-go-lucky 
for all that has happened to them. And they're very excited to, like, let another man into their mom's life. Yeah, my new daddy. Yeah, they're like, new dad. You're like, what the hell? Well, dad died, like, a month ago. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny because we do see Sandra Bullock experience, like, the extreme sadness of losing a significant other. And they have her and um, Nicole Kidman have that really kind of sweet, sad moment where Nicole Kidman climbs into bed with her and is like, you are going to get up. And you're going to take care of those girls and you're going to brush your teeth because your breath is disgusting, which is, I think, a really good detail because it shows you just how depressed he is because, like, when was the last time she brushed her teeth? So he's experienced Sandra Bullock's sadness and losing that, but we the girls are just kind of like, okay, whatever, magic time. And they also just seem to, like, know how to do magic even though Sandra Bullock, like, never taught them. They're, the, the girls, I think, could play a way more interesting. Also, did they have names? Evan Rachel Wood. Evan Rachel Wood. <laughs> um, I'm sure they do. I'm sure they do, but names Maria are like... Maria and Kylie. Okay. Which, first of all, Kylie, I don't know, that name just doesn't sit right with me anymore, but... I don't like Oh, because of the Kardashians? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yes. Yeah. Everything I know about the Kardashians I learned against my will, so... Um, yeah, that's my biggest thing that I wish we saw more of. Because they are clearly supposed to be, like, the new iteration of Jillian and Sally. Because they look exactly like them. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the whole... Th- like, that's a through line of the movie, is, like, the matriarch of the Owens family. And, like, the aunts taking in the sisters, and then one of the sisters has her own bebes, who are girls. And then that's never really explained. They're, like, incidental <laughs> Is it also just true in this family that you only have daughters? Was that part of the curse? That you would only have daughters and then... I don't know. I hope so. One of them's... I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Um, do you have anything else that you want to ask? You said you had a lot of questions. Um, and I'm here to defend this movie. I have a comment about the daughters and the loss of the dad. Hit me. Um, so, in Jane the Virgin... If you've not watched Jane the Virgin and you don't want a major spoiler, although it's all over the internet, stop listening now. But um, Jane gets married to Michael and then Michael dies. And it's this huge cliffhanger at the end of a season. And when that happened, a lot of people who watched and like loved that show were sitting there being like, how in the fuck are they gonna go forward? Because Jane is obviously so like emotionally devastated and it's really hard to like write through that period of grief. And like, in terms of putting the characters where they need to be. And so the way that they decided to fix that was a time jump. And people were really nervous about that, too, because they were like, oh, I feel like you're not paying the grief the proper amount of attention. But it was still so omnipresent. And they did flashbacks. But I think something like a time jump would have been really beneficial in this movie. I agree. Um, Because, yeah, it would just help the... I think it would have helped the pacing a lot. I think that's... I mean, I think that's the biggest reason as to, like, why the second season of Fleabag works so well is that you get a time jump. Mm -hmm. Because you could not go from the first season to the second season and and have it work in any capacity. But because there's a full year of shit that happens, like, you're able to move back into a different plot point. And there's so much to delve into because of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Oh, God, I have... Oh, a lot. Hold on. Oh, oh, oh. I was really unclear about whether or not Aiden Quinn can do magic. Uh, I don't think so. And you say, he does the whole thing where he's like, I wish for you too. But I think his wishing was less specific and he was just staring at the stars when that thing happened, when he saw the flowers and was like, 
Possibly. I hope someday I meet a pretty girl. But he also, like, banishes Jimmy's spirit initially with, like, the power of his star badge, which he's not a sheriff, so I'm not 100% sure, like... I don't is know. Is that what badges look... Tweet at us, tell us, what do cop badges look like? I thought it was because it was silver. Possibly. I thought it was silver, so it was like a pure metal that would banish an evil spirit. Interesting. Also because he's a vampire. A vampire. Vampire, um, quote unquote. He's like a, you know. Yeah. Speaking of Jimmy Angelov, the whole, they kill him, they resurrect him within five minutes, and then they kill him again. Pointless. I know it has to happen for the plot. It just happens so quickly that it is ineffectual. I don't feel anything. I'm never worried for their safety. Mm -hmm. I don't, like, it, it just, it's not effective to me from my perspective. I do, and I think that that was probably a, a detail in the book that they kept in. I don't know, I haven't read the book, but I'm assuming. Um, mm -hmm. If I were writing the script, I would have had them take the body, bury it, and him, then have them haunt him without bringing him back, because I just thought it was superfluous. It, it, it sure was. Yeah. And he can still haunt them. I mean, they murdered him with, you know, witch powers or whatever. Not that Belladonna is like witch powers. You can murder somebody with Belladonna in life. Pro tip. Yeah, pro tip. <laughs> Um, but I think that that probably would have been the more, f if I, but I also think they needed to show you why they couldn't bring back Michael. I, that makes perfect sense. I, it's not that I don't think that the resurrection could have value. I just don't think that the way that it happened. No, nice idea. Poor execution. It was bad. Yeah. yeah. Are All we right. kind of wrapping up on things that we don't like? I think so. Right. I got through a lot of it, man. I feel like we got through a lot of this movie, and I think our opinions are generally positive, but, like, it's not... This movie was never gonna win Oscars, you mm -hmm. know? Although some movies that win Oscars don't are worse than Practical Magic. Sometimes. Things that are expensive are, are worse. worse. Sometimes. <laughs> things that are Green Book <laughs> are terrible. Sometimes things that are La La Land, thank God it didn't actually win. I hate that movie. That's unfortunately, bad. unfortunately, La La Land is one of those movies where it's worth it for the last five minutes. That last dream sequence where they go through all of the different like musicals and they're just kind of dancing for five minutes. Chef's kiss. That is gorgeous. I would watch that over and over again. You know what? I didn't need an hour and a half movie before that. I didn't need any of it. Although I did like the drummer from That Thing You Do showing up at the end. True. True. Um, yeah, I just, whatever. Um, but yeah, so let's talk a little bit about culturally where this movie stands. Because I think that if you are a girl who saw it growing up, or even later, or you're like a girl who likes witchy movies, or Halloween movies, like maybe some random podcast host you know, like maybe like me, for example... <laughs> It means a lot to you because it is, uh, as we said earlier, like one of the only vehicles for like female relationships that experiments in the supernatural without it being like American Horror Story Coven where like no one is nice to each other throughout the entire thing. And you're like, come on, man. Guys. You're like, Emma Roberts, did you really have to hit kill Lily Ray with a brick? Come on, man. Like it's so much of like media where it's all women and often directed by men, is just about competition amongst women, which mm -hmm. 
if it's all women, there's little competition because most competition amongst women is inspired by the insidious nature of men, which is why women's bathrooms are the nicest place on earth. True. So when you get to see a movie like that and have, you know, nobody is trying to one-up each other at all, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's great. It's really comforting to watch. Yeah. Um, so I, beyond the point, beyond what you had your issues with this movie, I think you generally liked it. I do. It kind of falls in the canon of films that I like hold very close to my heart about women. Yes. Um, and we were talking before, were we talking about this when we were recording? Ever After is one of my favorite favorite movies of all time and that's a really interesting um example of the ways that women are terrible to each other because of society um and then also in the ways that like women are wonderful to each other so like the it's in that canon yeah you can't i I don't mean to be like men are the only reason why women are no of course not each other because the reason why the mom whose name we don't know is mean to sally has nothing to do with men it's to do with like the fear of the unknown Mm mm-hmm Oh, which is legit. That's why often why humans are evil to each other. Yeah. This, yeah, this really sits in a very comfortable place for me. And when I was watching it, I was like, this feels very cozy and like heartwarming. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's about things that people who are like movie snobs would typically just kind of brush off. And it's interesting because last year was the 20th anniversary of this movie's coming out. And if you are on film Twitter, which I try not to be, but if you are, there were a lot of articles coming around that were basically like in defense of Practical Magic. Was this movie judged too harshly for being like a female-led movie in the late 90s? And the general conclusion is like, is Practical Magic, you know, peak filmmaking? No, but it has really important things that were completely undervalued because they were being reviewed by men who didn't understand what it was trying to do. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, so it's interesting. So this movie did not do critically very well when it came out. Um, and I almost wonder, like, if it was made now, it wouldn't be made in the same way at all, but if it was made now, how it would be received. Well, mm, I think we've had so much more time to digest it and also to consume other media about witches because uh charmed began in 1998 and that's a show that people like love Mm -hmm. um there's a lot more like witch media yeah and and now it's a big part of the cultural lexicon like sabrina coven that stuff yeah and but it's not that it wasn't but now it's more like the idea of being a witch is a lot sexier and it's not just like evil witches Mm -hmm. which is what's interesting about this movie is because it's not sexy it's like about Family. Yeah. Um, and I would love... I mean, okay. I never advocate for a remake of pretty much anything because that's all people are doing now. But I'd be interested in seeing this in the next 15 years. And I would also be interested to read the book to see what details I would have pulled from it to find most important and not what they pulled because I'm not entirely sure... I don't really know how closely they run. If somebody's read the book, I would love to hear your opinions. Tweeted us. Yeah. Because there are probably full plot lines you could have taken out of the movie. Or email us if you really need to get into it. Oh, yeah. We do have an email, and you guys are always welcome to email us. It's just Mm -hmm. teamwolfraywolf at gmail.com. That, too. Yep. Um, So what would you say, after we've kind of talked about this, what would you say is your uh, final rating of this movie? 
Well, I do want to point out, uh, in reference to your previous point about this movie being judged too hardly, this does have a 21% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is not great. No, but I also have to think that people don't quite understand how Rotten Tomatoes works. No, but I mean, I'm just saying that like in terms of movies that have been, you know, decreed on the internet to be good or bad, yeah. this one, not good. Yeah. Um... I'm going to give it a B. I really, really enjoyed it. It's not something that... It's not a movie I'm going to sit around and be like, oh my god, you have to watch this movie to understand who I am as a person. But, like, I really enjoyed it, and I think that it's something that is very touching. Mm -hmm. um, and beautiful. Yeah. It's lovely. Mm -hmm. And if it's not good plot-wise, visually, striking. That makes up for a whole mess of sins. Oh, totally. But mm -hmm. that's how I think a lot of things work. True. Yeah. What kind of what rating would you give it? Can I give it a B plus plus or an A minus minus? <laughs> Somewhere in that zone. <laughs> yeah. I mean, nostalgically, I want to give it the A, but like critically, I can't. Mm hmm. Yeah, that's the tough thing where you're like, I know this is not good. Yeah. But I love it. Again, I mean, but there's also movies that I know are not good and would give an F. The Covenant. <laughs> I give that movie an F, but I like it for different reasons, namely that it's horrible. But, yeah. like, this, I have these, these there's things that I, I, again, like you, I was talking earlier about how there's things that you, like, attach yourself onto, you attach yourself to in certain movies. Like, there's enough of those moments in this movie that I, like, just kind of makes my heart sing a little bit, that I have a mm -hmm. hard time being like, it sucks. So I'll give it the B plus plus, A minus minus. Nice. Yeah. It doesn't suck. No, it doesn't. And it's so fun. And if you were looking for one good last Halloween movie to watch before the spooky season's over, highly recommend. And also Halloween Town. Oh, Halloween Town. We love Halloween Town. We I, I we thought about doing that, but I also feel like what is there to say about Halloween Town? Other than the fact that it's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> like we'd just be like It's incredible. Debbie Reynolds. We were deeply betrayed by Sarah Paxton. It's not her fault. She was just trying to live her life. But no. Disney. Disney. Yeah. What are you doing? True. Alrighty, I think that about wraps it up for this bonus episode of the Teen Wolf Free Wolf. If you like this bonus episode, there's gonna be more. We're gonna try to do a couple every month, I think. Um, We're gonna try to theme it out, so if you have ideas. If you have November movies. Yeah. Um, we'd love to hear your recommendations. If you guys have thoughts about Practical Magic or Teen Wolf or anything, please feel free to hit us up on Twitter. We are at Teen Wolf underscore Rewolf. That is also our Instagram handle, and from there you can follow our personal profiles if you're interested. We're also on Tumblr at Teen Wolf Free Wolf. Um, I'll get around to posting on it, I promise. It's just not where I'm at. And then... I don't know. Do we have any more news? I think we'll just be back with the regular scheduled Teen Wolf programming this week. Our regular scheduled shenanigans. Yep. Yeah. And we're looking looking forward to seeing you guys soon. That's not. There's no good way to say this. No. Connecting with you. We'll no, talk terrible. To you. you don't get to talk to us, but we will talk at you. We're looking You're well talking at you soon. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Packy, you have an amazing rest of your week, and bye. Bye.